main thing really is just believing myself that I am more capable than I could kind of imagine and, and I think that's a really exciting prospect and it's not necessarily something that you're I think we're often taught that you know people tell you you don't you know you can't do that unless you have a qualification or whatever and I think um realizing that you can do stuff without having somebody else's permission is kind of amazing Hey gang, it's Tom Ball here and welcome back to Second Mind, the show that empowers you to become the greatest version of yourself and better our world. My guest on today's show is the fantastic Fiona Quinn, an endurance adventurer, entrepreneur and keynote speaker. Just a matter of years ago, Fiona was a total newbie to adventuring, finding her feet with small cycling trips in a local area. Fast forward to the end of 2018, Fiona was able to paddleboard 800 miles across 81 days from Land's End to John O'Groats despite having a deep fear of the sea created when she almost drowned as a child. In completing this paddleboarding achievement, she became the first ever woman to complete the length of Britain triathlon, having already walked and cycled the route in previous years. Having broken through self-doubt, she battled ocean whirlpools and paddled with dolphins to achieve her goal of paddleboarding the length of Great Britain. To recount her stories and experiences along the journey, she's released her new book, aptly named Ignore the Fear. In other adventures, she has completed the Cam Triathlon, circumnavigated the Isle of Wight and well camped on Dartmoor. Striving to support the wider adventure community, Fiona has used her entrepreneurial spirit to start the Adventure Book Club, where a collective discusses a different adventure book every month. Fiona's huge life shift has been fueled by truly switching her perspective as she's granted herself permission to step into the unknown, let go of the fear of failure and live by her own rules. I feel Fiona's messages and story offer huge value to so many people as she is a true example of someone who has let go of many limiting beliefs and reached beyond what she thought was possible to live a purposeful life. She advocates finding your own unique adventurous spirit and exploring on your own terms and I feel that this is something that is super empowering for those who have not yet had any adventure experience but it's also highly relevant for those seasoned explorers out there too. Sending a good energy to you all right now, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Peace. Fiona, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, I'm doing really well. It's been a lovely sunny day here in Devon. Um, I, I just wanted to kick off the conversation. I was in my research looking through um, some of your Instagram posts um, of the various adventures you've been on. Um, and I was wondering if that had always been your nature, if you've always been an adventurous person or if this is something that is more relatively new in your life. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I would definitely not have classed myself as adventurous. Um, I mean, I grew up in a, in a small village uh, uh, in Essex and me and my brother used to run around the village and that kind of stuff, but we would never really go on a, adventures as a family. Um, and then when I was a teenager, uh, we moved to a town and I wasn't adventurous there. You know, I was just kind of all about like buying new clothes and that kind of stuff, like a normal teenager. Um, and it wasn't really until my late 20s, really. I think I was about 27 when I got a bike on the cycle to work scheme. And that was when I really started to kind of get outside and start adventuring and exploring a little bit further. Okay, wicked. And so was was that your like early experience of adventure, like like on the bike and being sort of under your own power, exploring new areas? Yeah, definitely. And it was exactly that kind of the, the human powered exploration kind of element of being on a bike that I liked. I could just, you know, poot along on the bike and, and head down the lane to see where it, where it led. Um, and it was my boyfriend at the time. He was super into cycling. Uh, you know, we were like a seven bike household, I think, at one point. Um, so he would take me out cycling down in, in the Surrey Hills and we'd go and explore into London. And it's just a really nice 
nice way of getting outside. Um, and I think starting to cycle as an adult, because I hadn't cycled maybe since I was about 14. So kind of um, taking on that sort of independence and relearning how to cycle on a road. Like I'm a, I have a car, I drive, but I think it's different being on a bike and kind of realizing like why you're supposed to cycle within the road and all that kind of stuff just kind of builds your confidence about being outside on your own um, and just kind of going a bit further than you normally would and exploring somewhere new. So yeah, that was definitely what kicked it off for me. Um, and it was from doing the cycling that I then wanted to kind of take on slightly bigger challenges. So I started doing London to Brighton, um, London to Cambridge, kind of organized trips. And then from there, I wanted to, to make up my own trip and do something a little bit different. So it was really a, a snowball effect, like sort of building up in incremental stages where you started off with like just going out for maybe an afternoon cycle and then it was turning into day trips and, and I take it overnight trips as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it was around the same time that um, I heard Al Humphreys talk about micro adventures. So it was really him that mm. kind of uh, pushed me to take on this idea of just sleeping out under the stars for one night with just a bivy bag and your sleeping bag and no tent. Um, so me and a couple of girlfriends went and slept on a hill in Kent. And it was kind of from there that I then really enjoyed sleeping out under the stars and then combining that with the cycling just sort of, yeah, led to multi-day adventures. And from there it grew. Did your friends share the same spark for the adventure? Have they, have they gone on and led adventurous lives after that? Not, not particularly, no. I think <laughs> it's, um, it's a funny thing like micro-adventures though. I think camping out for one night, I mean, it's, it's a terrible night's sleep, uh, but it's just, I just loved the doing something different part of it. I liked feeling mm. a bit uncomfortable and realizing that it isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. It's actually kind of a bit fun and a bit novel, which is quite nice you know, in our quite comfortable day-to-day -day lives for most of us. Um, so yeah, so they didn't quite take it up as much as I did. I think I took it slightly to the extreme. <laughs> well, obviously lit up a little spark in you. I, th I think though, especially with a group of friends, there's a real like good bonding that can happen if you are doing a, a micro adventure or a larger adventure, you, you get to those like points of adversity where maybe you've had a little bit less sleep than you'd have liked or the weather's pretty rubbish. And, but you're all in it together and you, you really can like laugh about it. If not in the moment, you can definitely laugh about it afterwards um, as long as everyone en ends up okay. I, I've definitely had that with a lot of my friends where we've had situations where we thought it was an absolute nightmare at the time. And then we look back with big grins, you know, in, in, in a couple of years time. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant, brilliant stories, brilliant ways of bonding with both friends, but also with strangers. Like I've, on my re most recent um, adventure, the paddleboarding one that we're going to talk about, um, I had just complete strangers come and be crew for me. And it was amazing to be in such an intense situation and really get to know people and kind of build really awesome memories and cool stories together. So it was great. Yeah. So so the, the paddleboarding adventure, it was part of your length of Britain triathlon. And to, to explain that for the listeners, uh, what did that involve? Because the, the stand-up paddleboarding was a part of that, right? It was, yeah. So it started, the whole triathlon started back um, in, in 2016. So, the, so after I'd done a couple of kind of local adventures, I wanted to do something a bit bigger. And the, the kind of obvious British adventure is Land's End John O'Groats. Um, so the bike was my kind of, uh, favorite means of transport at the time. So I hopped on my bike, uh, completely self-supported solo and just set out to cycle the length of Britain over a month or about three weeks, I think was the aim initially. Um, and then that kind of snowballed from there. I mean, that first time I didn't actually make it. I got caught out by a storm in the Cairngorms. So I made it 80% of the way. I cycled 800 miles and then I had to get a quite finish it but I was um, just really excited about exploring the country that I call home and wanting to get to know it a bit better but also just testing myself and realizing that I could go a lot further than I'd ever gone before mm. um, so having a cycle attempted to cycle it although not successfully that first time I then uh, decided that I wanted to do it again but via a different means of transport so then I walked in the opposite direction from John O'Groats to Land's End and then that was after that that I then, well, I cycled it again um, 
to do it in one go. And then I paddleboarded it. So kind of the length of Britain triathlon is doing Lands End Shona Groats by walking, cycling and stand-up paddleboarding. Okay. And the stand-up paddleboard is, that was a, a creative choice for the, the water element of the triathlon. Um, what, what brought you to the stand-up paddleboarding world? Yeah, so um, I nearly drowned when I was younger. So the idea of being in the sea and swimming, it was just never going to happen. <laughs> I'm far too scared to do that. But I wanted to do something to turn a walk and the cycle into a triathlon. And I should probably say that at the beginning, when I first attempted to cycle Lands and Groats, I had no intention of turning that into a triathlon. It just kind of happened. After I'd cycled it and then walked it, it just kind of felt like the natural next step was to do a water element. Mm. Um, Again, with the, the, the incremental nature of yeah. your event, the snowball effect. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have this kind of grand plan. It just evolved as, as I went. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the paddleboarding was kind of that, that other way of doing it. So I could still have a water-based element but to do it in a way that felt right for me, even though I was still scared. Um, and there's still an awful lot I didn't know about the sea. Uh, I found a way that made it work for me. Yeah, at least the paddleboard meant that you didn't have to get into the water most of the time. You were, you were on top of the water. Exactly. <laughs> so the cycling leg of the of that journey was was the first one and you said that you failed the first attempt of it um at, at really that was all that was so close at 80 percent. that must have been a, a quite a difficult experience like how did you deal with the the failure mentally because it seems like it followed a really great string of adventure experiences seemingly quite like exciting positive things and then to have that that happen must have been a bit of a setback Yeah, I mean, it to me, it never really feel, felt like a failure. I mean, I just cycled 800 miles and before I would have cycled with 80, like one adventure. So actually yeah. I was like, this is amazing. I've done so, so well. Like I never, and I never tried to beat anybody's time. I wasn't going for records. I was just going on an adventure and seeing what happened. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was October, it was, it was raining all day, the day that I had to take the train. Um, like, I didn't want to be out there and I was shaking, like it just wasn't a good idea. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I wouldn't, I'd never say that I regret doing that adventure, it was brilliant. It, it kind of what drove me to, to go bigger and go further and inspired me to see more of Britain. Um, mm. So yeah, so I definitely wouldn't class it as a failure. And I think having then gone back and cycled it again, and I went through that part where I where I had to pull out the last time, it's nice to know that I've kind of, I've conquered that little bit and I got to the end, so it was good. Yeah. And there's something really strong in that as well about just enjoying, you know, whatever your goal is, just enjoy the moments that you have along the way. Um, because sometimes things are out of your control and uh, you have to like pull out and end things a little bit early. Um, the, 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 another element as well, I think of, of adventuring is also knowing when to quit in terms of your own safety. You know, you want to make sure you're looking after yourself as well as having that adventurous spirit. And you, you know, you want to live to fight another day and keep yourself healthy and your body healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of came through on other adventures as well. Like so when I walked um the next spring from john and to land's end i uh had it uh, so i so i should say that i didn't train for any of these eventually so i just kind of can't the idea plan it a little bit and then just kind of go and see what happens um and because they're so long i figured that the first kind of week or two in themselves were the training so that was my approach which maybe isn't always the best approach <laughs> um and when i walked it i was 500 miles in and i ended up getting acute tendonitis probably because i didn't train um so i had a week off on crutches and and that's kind of you know makes the point of as you were saying you've got to kind of look after your body mm. and but i also think it's um it's it's a process of 
listening to your body and kind of getting to know it because you can speak to doctors or whoever and physios and stuff along the way and I did um but at the end of the day you know you're better your body better than they do and if you feel like you can keep going or if you feel like you need to stop and they have contradictory advice I think it's just a process of of learning about your body and and kind of knowing the difference between like pain and damage and that kind of stuff so yeah that seems to be you know treading that that fine line is something that's developed through experience as well like the, the more that you do the more that, that you know how how far you can push yourself and when sometimes it's may, maybe better to rein it in yeah definitely and i think um but i think that's kind of and it's kind of it's not just a physical thing it's it's also a mental thing like the endurance mindset and knowing that you know this is it's raining it's cold you're absolutely knackered like you're so tired and but you can keep going and kind of realizing that you're capable of more definitely comes over time and through practice and Mm. just allowing yourself also that space to go sometimes you know what I just don't want to carry on today I'm just going to have a rest day or whatever and then maybe the next day you feel like actually maybe I could have done it a bit further and then you do push yourself again the next time you feel that way so it's it's definitely a process both physically and and so when you came across some of those injuries, which, you know, the tendonitis, I know if I were in that situation, it would have been extremely frustrating. You've only just started the, the trip and tendonitis is something that is quite difficult to see past because it can linger for quite a long time. How did you kind of balance your mindset in, you know, believing that you can get better, but also letting yourself have the rest that you, you need uh, in order to continue? Yeah, I guess it's, um, so I, I'd never had tendonitis before, so I didn't really have any reference of whether this is likely to stay a long time or, or whether it heal quickly. Um, at the point that I got tendonitis, I was actually halfway. So I'd made it to the Lake District. Um, so I was 500 miles in, about 500 left to go. And I mean, it got to the point where I couldn't walk, like I couldn't move my ankle even just slightly without being in absolute agony. So there's no mm. question I had to stop. I really didn't have a choice. Um, but so, uh, yeah, so I just stayed with a friend of a friend for a week and I was in the Lake District and it was beautiful weather. I couldn't really complain um, of a place to stop really. Yeah. And then it was just, I guess, just a, a process of starting to walk a little bit for maybe like 10 miles, I think was the first day I did when I got back walking um and again just listening to my body like it was quite tight to start with when I started walking but then I kind of took it easy and then sort of was able to ramp up the miles again once it felt a bit better Mm. well then you went on to storm through the rest of it I did I mean (laughs) there was then other stuff that came up it wasn't all plain sailing from there (laughs) um so (laughs) so then so I got walking again and then because I, for no particular reason, but my original plan was to me to walk. Um, and I just really quite liked the round number of that. So I decided to up my daily mileage from um, 20 miles a day to 30 miles a day for six days uh, to get me down to Bristol. And then from there, I figured I could make it within that two month time frame. Um, but during that week, it rained every single day and my boots didn't dry out. So then I got trench fit. <laughs> so then I had to deal with trench fit and then the, um, it was lingering from the tendonitis. So it was, it was an interesting adventure. I mean, it was the hardest adventure, the walk by far physically and mentally, I think was the hardest one I've ever done. Hmm. Um, but the kind of the determination that I had just to get to the end, like I think you just get this grit that you're just going to, I mean, and it's, it's, and it's kind of like a, a stupid thing to do, right? Like nobody cares if I walk the length of Britain. It makes zero difference to my life or to anybody else's. But I'm going to do it. There's absolutely no way I'm not going to do this. Yeah. And I quite just like that, throwing myself into something and pushing through physical and mental pain just to achieve it. It's nice. That sheer, you know, having a, a strong mind and just putting one foot in front of the other is, is such a seemingly simple thing. Um, but it's really, really powerful. And you can execute that in, in lots of different areas of life not you know not not accepting being knocked back at, uh, of these little temporal te- temporary little things 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely applicable to so many different situations. And I think like I run my own businesses as well. And I, and I definitely, I feel it applies to business and my career to just take it a day at a time. What can I do today? What kind of mileage effectively, like what kind of things can I tick off my to-do list today? Um, Cause it all adds up and it doesn't feel like, I think, you know, every day I was on the trail, it doesn't feel like I'm walking at 993 miles. I'm just walking one mile right now and you just keep going and then eventually you get there and it's, yeah, definitely applicable to the rest of life. For sure. And, and the stand-up paddleboard leg of the, the triathlon, with a fear of water, that must have also been a, a challenge to get over. Did you feel like the, the fear of water persisted through that or do you feel like you managed to sort of sit in the fear and, and accept it and just be able to keep on going on yeah it's definitely definitely a question of sitting in it rather than overcoming it like I'm definitely still scared of sea mm. um I went on a sailing trip last year with a company I was working for and I was crying on the boat like I'm so <laughs> when it gets windy and it gets choppy I still get so scared um but it was yeah and and I think it's I guess it's it's also a process right fear like the more you do something the less scared of it you are mm. um even if that fear remains overall um and and I guess I, I made progress in terms of my ability with paddleboarding so I would paddled um in sort of lakes and rivers inland beforehand a fair amount so I felt pretty comfortable doing that but before I left Land's End um, to paddleboard, I'd only paddled on the sea three times, totaling less than two hours. Like <laughs> I had no real experience on the sea. I had never really paddled in swell um, or kind of choppy conditions or away from shore. Mm. So there's loads of stuff that I had no experience of dealing with and it, and it was interesting, um, you know, when that came up, having to face it and, and I guess figuring out along the way what kind of conditions I was comfortable to go out in, um, which affected, you know, how long it took to do the adventure overall. Yeah. And how, how many days did it take to actually complete that paddle? So it was um, an 81 day expedition, but only about 35 of those I was actually on the water paddling. So there's a lot of bad weather. We had to wait, mm. um, particularly, I think, further south. We'd maybe have sort of three or four days of good weather to paddle and then we'd have like a two week storm would roll in. So it was, it was a lot of time sitting on the support boat, um, drinking beer and eating cake, really. <laughs> That's not bad recovery. That's all good. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, but you, when you started off, it seemed like it was the, the definition of starting before you're ready because you, you referenced before that you didn't have a crew. You didn't even have a, you didn't even have a boat, did you? No, I had nothing. So, I mean, at the very basic kind of level, before I started planning, I didn't even know how tides worked. Like I didn't know how I would figure out when to paddle on the sea. Like I knew nothing. Hmm. Um, so I had, and I had no contacts in the boating industry. Um, I had to, so I had to buy a, a support boat cause it was far cheaper than renting one. Um, I knew nothing about boats. I didn't have any funding. As you say, I had no crew. So I had to try and find people to, follow me really slowly up the length of Britain and I didn't know how long it would take me and I couldn't pay them. I didn't have any funding. Mm. Um, so it was a real, it was a real challenge. And I think sort of a lot of people maybe were like, Oh yeah, it's a nice idea if you know, whatever. They just didn't think that I, I had even a chance of getting to the start line yet alone to, to John O'Groat. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, project to take on, I guess, in terms of having to believe in myself because, Everyone else just didn't really think it was going to happen. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the theory of having a, a fixed and a growth mindset. Um, I don't know if you've heard of heard of this theory, but it's it's all about when you have a, a growth mindset, you, you, you really essentially your core value is that you're a learner and you're able to grow and change. Um, even though you are at a point in life where maybe you can't do something, you know, you don't have the ability or the skill to say, read, read the tides or you're not a very experienced paddleboarder, you, you believe in your ability to change. And it seems like that must have been a real driving force for you um, in being able to keep on keeping on. Um, because if you'd have gone in there with the fixed mindset of saying, I know nothing you know, about the tides, I've never really been on the sea before, it could have just immediately closed you down. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it was the fact that I didn't have a clue what I was doing and I was terrified. I think all of that is really what compelled me to do this. I don't think there's really been any other adventure that seems so, to me, that I've done, that seems so ridiculous and yet I've been so compelled to do it. I think it was the, the opportunity to really, to learn and to throw myself into it and be like, could I do this? Could I overcome all these obstacles and keep going long enough to get to the end? And I think that was what really excited me about it and made me want to do it. Mm. And the route that you took, did you go up the, the West Coast or the, the East Coast? I went up the West Coast. Um, and then when I got to Wales, I paddled across the Irish Sea, went to Ireland the east coast of Ireland and then hopped back over to Scotland through the Caledonian Canal and then wound up to John O'Groats. What an, that's an epic journey. Um, and you, you were uh, able to cross the Irish Sea um, in that, uh, the, the, the west coast of the, the, the trip, right? Yeah, yeah. So I paddled across from St David's Head on the southwest coast of Wales across to Rosler um, on the southeast coast of Ireland. So it's about 40 miles the crossing. Um, and I was the first woman to do so, first woman to paddleboard across the Irish Sea. Uh, and yeah, so and I'm incredibly lucky. I had to wait two weeks for good weather, but on the day it was like glassy flat, which is unheard of in the, in the Irish Sea. Um, and then, it, so it, was, it took about 12 hours of paddling in all. And about, I think maybe two hours from the end, a, big pot of dolphins came and started swimming around my board and the support boat just kind of almost cheering me on to get to the end it was it was amazing it was really good wow what a highlight did you see any other uh, wild animals when you were going along the way yeah we saw we saw so we saw dolphins maybe like four or five times which was always just it really helped me kind of ignore the fear and made me feel much calmer on the water yeah. um, and was just lovely to have their company uh, we also saw um, saw some seals. We saw some, loads of jellyfish, loads of jellyfish, particularly up the uh, the Irish Sea. Um, moon jellyfish, so the kind of the, the sort of small, clear ones, and then also those uh, much bigger ones with the really long tentacles, which I think sting really badly. I can't remember what they're called. Um, also, some some otters as well. Must have been a good incentive not to fall in with the jellyfish. <laughs> Yes, it was, <laughs> which is really difficult because you're looking at them, which means that you're looking down and normally wherever you look is where you end up, right? So I was just like, I don't look at the jellyfish, just keep paddling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I saw a clip online of you talking about an incident with a whirlpool and I was wondering if you could share that because it left me pretty gobsmacked because uh, it was quite an extreme experience. It was, yeah. So um, for those people that don't know, there's, there's this whirlpool on the west coast of Scotland uh, near the Isle of Jura. It's called Corrivecan. Um, and if you Google it, there's some, some good videos that show you kind of how big this whirlpool is. Um, it's the world's third largest whirlpool. So it's pretty big. Um, and I think there was a, it's on record as being able to pull somebody 262 metres down to the sea floor. Um, and then it would just drag you kind of along the seabed and chuck you out further down current. So if, <laughs> if it had gone more wrong, then that's where I would have ended up potentially. Um, so you're probably asking why on earth I was anywhere near a whirlpool. Well, my route was kind of taking me um, past the Isle of Jura into, to go into the Caledonian Canal to kind of cut across Scotland. And at this particular point uh, in the adventure, um, I had two crew on board my boat, so I was able to paddle sort of every tide at the time. But we needed to do a crew change on the boat for our deckhand was going to swap over. Um, and we also needed to refuel the boat. And we were kind of at a point where uh, we were trying to go as quickly as possible to kind of make, make up lots of ground. We'd had quite a bit of bad weather beforehand. Um, so we thought to save time, I would keep paddling on my own. The boat would go and do the crew change and refuel, and then they'd come back. And it'd be like 90 minutes tops was the plan. Where I was paddling at that point was, um, it was much further down the Isle of Jura, kind of well away from Corrie Beck and the Whirlpool. Um, 
and it was there was we weren't expecting any tides it was it was a super calm day um and we given that i paddle about two and a half miles an hour there was no way i was going to get anywhere near cory beckon was the plan <laughs> so they left me it was all fine uh, i was paddling along the channel um and then all of a sudden i realized that the tide was a lot stronger than we expected and there was kind of some islands in the middle of the channel uh, with uh, Crinan and Willow doing a crew change and we flew off to the right and then Cory back and the whirlpool off to the left. And uh, my plan was that I would try and beach on that island, uh, the little kind of islands in the middle, but the tide was too strong. I just couldn't fight it and I was just being pulled towards the whirlpool. Um, so I dropped my knees to make sure I didn't fall off my board. And then I was, I was kind of okay, you know, I was quite fresh at this point, so I wasn't worried about getting tired and not being able to paddle. But I, I text my skipper, like, please hurry, the tide's really strong. Because I was just, you know, obviously wanting them to hurry up and come and get me. Um, and then they came out of, of Crinan and they were like, she's texted us, means she's in trouble. They were looking for me down where they thought I would be, down, um, down the channel. And I wasn't there. So then they were starting to panic, like, where is she? She's <laughs> probably been pulled towards the whirlpool. Um, so my skipper, well, at this point, the water kind of around me was quite choppy. It was starting to get quite swirly. Um, and my board was kind of being thrown around a bit. So my skipper calls me and um, like, he's obviously really worried about where I am. Like I'm kind of, my safety is his responsibility. And I answer the phone in like, the worst way possible. I'm crying my heart out. <laughs> I'm like, where are you? I'm being pulled towards a whirlpool. I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, I was really freaking out. Um, and so he tried to like calm me down and like, where are you? What can you see? Can you see any other boats? Um, and then 30 seconds into this call, all the water around me just shifts into this one big circle. And I was right in the middle of it. And I knew that other whirlpools developed at different tide states. And they wouldn't get as big as Corbeckan, but I didn't know how big it would get. So <laughs> obviously the one thing I wanted to do right at that point was get out of that whirlpool. Um, so I quickly told my skipper where I was and uh, hung up and then just paddled like crazy to get to the edge of this sort of swirling bit of water. And just as I got to the edge to like a kind of a slight calm bit of, of section of, of the sea, I could see my boat finally on the horizon and they were steaming towards me. And luckily they plucked me out of the water and it was all okay. But it was definitely a close call and kind of reminded me uh, to not forget why I do adventures like I wasn't that fast about going really quickly it was just one of my sponsors was super keen for me to go really fast and that was the only reason that my crew left me at that point right if, if we hadn't been trying to go really fast they would have stayed with me um so that was kind of a really interesting lesson um you know I, I adventure for the cake stops not the not the time <laughs> um not time records so yeah so keeping cake front and center of my mind was <laughs> what i did going forwards it's a much safer strategy i'll give you that but to, to emphasize the fact that you, you were going through all of this with a fear of water being able to come out the the other side still holding together is is an amazing feat i have to say i think you know i don't have a fear of water but if i was in a whirlpool i would lose my mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think definitely while i was out there in that situation i was losing my mind but i guess i'm just quite i can kind of pop uh, you know compartmentalize my life a little bit and i'm like right well that's mm. happened and i'm out of it and now i can make a new plan and we can keep going and find a way around it so um yeah yeah and it's also a, you know always a, a good reminder to sometimes have nature put you in your in your place and say you know nature deserves respect when you're going out into these environments be it the mountains or the oceans uh, or you know going on a desert trek you, you've got to really have respect for these places and and, and try and uh, you know do your best to prepare yeah it's definitely I think um, while I don't really I tend not to plan too much for my adventures I kind of go well I want to start here and I want to end there and maybe I'll go this route and I kind of just leave it to so the adventure to kind of dictate how far I get each day. Um, but one thing I always also do is plan enough to make sure I don't die. And that's kind of, <laughs> I think, they're the kind of basic bits that you need to know on an adventure is where you're going to start, where you're going to finish, and then enough to make sure you don't die. And, and that could mean several different things depending on the kind of adventure you're on. Um, and for me, that was making trying to make sure that I had good support crew with me. 
given that I knew that I didn't know anything about the sea, like having really experienced people to call on when I needed it was kind of really essential. And so with all of that behind you, all the whirlpools trying to eat you up in the ocean, when you when you crossed the finish line for the, the Sup Britain, that must have been a great feeling. Yeah, it was, it was a great feeling. And I think it, it was it was very different to how the other two adventures had finished. Um, so normally I get to the end of an adventure on my own. I go, oh, well, that's the end then. I should probably go home. <laughs> but on this one, I had my crew with me and it was great. We got to kind of celebrate what we'd done together and what they'd achieved as well. Mm. Um, I mean, Aileen, she was uh, my deckhand. She joined us at Crinan. So her first job on the boat was to find me in a whirlpool. Um, <laughs> But she had never been on a boat before. She had never paddleboarded before. She didn't have a driver's license. So we got her to drive the boat. Um, so she had huge kind of her own learning curves on it as well. Um, and then Liam, who joined the expedition as my photographer, uh, he was 22 and he'd never skipped a yacht in his life. Um, but I ended up getting him to, to drive the support boat uh, for a lot of the expedition. So he pretty much skipped us most of the way with some other crew on board. Um, and some advice as well helping us so it's huge again a huge learning opportunity for him so it was great to celebrate all of that together um, at the end uh, which was really a really nice way to finish the whole triathlon really what a celebration that must have been uh, do you think with all of that completed has your relationship to fear changed over all of these adventures yeah I guess it, I guess it has I am um... I think I, I just learned that even if I am scared that I can do it, but also that it's important to know why I'm doing it, not only for the cake stops, but also just the adventure as a whole. Like after I finished Sup Britain the following year, um, I wanted, I decided to take on another adventure, a really big one to cycle across Europe. Uh, 4,000 miles from Gibraltar to Athens was the plan. I'd never really explored in Europe, um, but I figured, you know, it'd be very different. I don't speak any languages other than English. So that in itself would be a challenge, but I didn't, you know, my heart wasn't in it. And I think learning that, you know, picking an adventure for the right reason, um, not just because it's, you know, slightly scary or sounds kind of badass or whatever. Like, yeah. I think that was quite a big lesson for me. There was just something about Sutbrin that was really compelling. And I think finding that again, will be really important in choosing my next big adventure. Yeah, I think having that personal connection to whatever thing you're trying to achieve or just, you know, whatever it is in the moment is really valuable because when when stuff gets tough, you're going to have that extra bit of juice to keep going rather than if, you know, it's an idea that you've had from an external force that's kind of come in, maybe it's a sponsor or a friend who suggested it for you. It doesn't seem like that, that extra spark might be there. Yeah, definitely. I think that makes a really big difference. Um, and it's also, it's just a kind of a, uh, a try and see sometimes um, if you've got that, that kind of luxury to be able to do that and go on and small adventures or something, see what you like, see what you don't like. And I think not being afraid to say, you know what, this isn't working for me and I just, I'm going to quit and go home and do something else instead, I think is a perfectly valid option as well. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to keep that option open and you know, talking about the relationship with fear, you could look at the fear as like, you know, an advisor who's kind of at your side. Sometimes they're giving you, you know, like big messages, but it's your choice whether you're going to take the advice or, or not. And usually, you know, like with, with lots of new things in life, it's going to be accompanied by fear. But actually the, the advisor of fear is actually looking out for you. They, ultimately, they're trying to make sure that you don't end up you know, injuring yourself and like you're ending up in the bottom of a whirlpool. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a force that you can hold in, in your mind and kind of sit with it, but, um, yeah, be able to say, okay, I hear you, but I'm going to keep on going because I, you know, I believe that I can, I can still make this. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's about interpretate interpretation and interpreting that fear signal and what that means for you. Um, it's definitely something to be used and that's that's a helpful thing, I think. Mm. So so for the micro adventures and adventures that you have you've had, what has been your uh, best day of adventuring? 
my best day ever. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. That's um, that's quite <laughs> that's quite a question. Um, or any highlight oh moments. Doesn't have to be the best. Yeah, I think I think there's been quite a few days where um, either like I've I've really felt like I've kind of nailed something. Like I know on on day two of Sub Britain. So at the very beginning, before I'd bought my support boat. Um, I just hired a local boat for two days um, with their crew. And obviously they'd never really met me before. They didn't know my past in terms of adventure or, or what I was sort of capable of. And on day one of Breton, we had like a 20, an unexpected 20 mile an hour offshore wind. I was really struggling. I planned to try and do 20 miles on that first day. And I only did about seven, I think. So then that crew was then looking at me going, she's never gonna make it you know, as far as she wants to tomorrow. <clears throat> excuse me and then the next day I was like no I can definitely do this and I think uh like so that day I doubled down and I kind of really pushed myself hard to kind of show these guys that I can do this like I am an amateur I don't know what I'm doing but I can you know hit my target for today and then at the end of that day he kind of shook my hand and was like actually you know I'm kind of impressed at how far you got I think moments like that were kind of showing other people like I, I, I can achieve something gives me a lot of kind of confidence to keep going mm. um and and that can be sometimes with other people but also it might just be with myself and I'm just like having a really bad time and feeling like everything's going wrong but then I just prove to myself that I can keep going it sounds like through through all of the experiences of the stand-up paddleboarding the cycling the walking the length of the UK that the the, the highlights must have been numerous you know like with dolphins coming up and you being able to conquer your perceived limits um it, it really is uh, a, you know, something special to look back on i'm sure yeah absolutely some really incredible memories and you know spending time with people um meeting complete strangers along the way all that kind of stuff's been <clears throat> really really magical and, and and yeah really nice to look back on and kind of have experienced that particularly given the situation kind of at the moment with, with lockdown with Corona, like having those memories of, oh, I did those, those really cool adventures. I think I feel very lucky to, to have those. And I'm really keen to get back out there and plan some more for when we're allowed out again. I'm sure you're using your planning lockdown time pretty well, scheming for new adventures. Um, the, the Obviously the connections that you make along the, event, the adventures are very meaningful to you. Um, but for someone out there who wants to, connect with other people and go on adventures and you know they, their social group may not be responding well to invites to go on micro adventures yeah how could they connect with people to start to get out and uh, go on these trips i think for me um social media has been a brilliant way to connect with like-minded people um there's a ton of groups on facebook uh where you can find you know people local to you that want to go on micro adventures or cycling or whatever kind of sport you want to do um and as well on on instagram i found some some great connections and some great new friends i've met through instagram just kind of seeing what other people are up to and kind of telling them a message and asking if they want to join you or you could join them um so i don't i don't really know how i would have met these kind of people if it hadn't been for social media to be honest so mm. it's yeah so it's, it's a brilliant way of, of finding them um and if you were to put a couple of rules into an adventure bible uh, for someone who's looking uh, and, and getting into the adventure space uh, which are the, the best rules that you put in oh interesting question um i think uh well obviously the first one has to be ignore the fear because <laughs> invariably if you're doing something new you're going to be a little bit scared even yeah. if, if if it's not a massive fear um I think also uh, I'd essentially say do it for the cake stop. So do it because there's something that's really driving you, like do it your way and, and find something that you really love within adventure, which might come over time or it might be something that you're kind of aware of at the beginning. But yeah, find a way of doing it that suits you and that, that makes you happy and you kind of enjoy along the way. Um, and then I think the third one I would say um, is to not be afraid to reach out. So whether that's uh, connecting with people before you go for advice or um, support and also doing it along the way. Like I would 
often particularly along the walk I met so many people just kind of stumbling into a cafe with a massive backpack and like loads of waterproofs on and soaking wet and people will just start talking to you and I think that's mm. something that I really really love about adventure is how incredibly social it is when you go on your own um so I would definitely embrace the kind of meeting people aspect of adventure that has to be a cool thing yeah it seems like a great leveler like when you're when you're really you know like going through difficult experiences it gives you something really really strong to bond with other people over or if they see they see that you are you know really pushing yourself and trying something different i think people really respect that um and they really want to that's a really good character trait to have i think it's a, a very attractive to people as well in terms of um it creating new relationships yeah definitely and i think you know sometimes it could I think particularly when you're on your own, you can kind of want to be self-sufficient and kind of like, no, I'm just going to do this. I don't need any help. But actually a skill of being able to open up and be like, you know what, I kind of do need some help or it would just be nice to chat to someone about this. I think that is a skill in itself. And it just it's just so much more rewarding when you can be vulnerable and, and ask for help or mm. um, accept help when it's offered. Um, obviously, you don't have to always do that, but I think allowing that space for that to come into your adventure is, is a massive bonus. Yeah, for sure. What do you think is a common misconception about adventures that you'd like to dispel? Um, I think that they have to be like dangerous or gnarly or um, massive. Like they can be whatever you want them to be. They can be absolutely tiny. They can be, they can just be fun. If that's what you're looking for, just to get outside and have some fun. Um, you know, you don't have to set any world records. You don't have to beat anybody else. You can just do it for you. Mm. Um, and I think like adventure historically and traditionally has been obviously so male dominated and that narrative of sort of, you know, nearly dying or whatever, it, it wasn't certainly wasn't my intention to have that as a part of my story <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of the world pool. And I, and I don't think that needs to be there to be, for it to be an adventure. It just needs to be something that, challenges you in whatever way you want that to be um so yeah so i think changing the kind of the narrative around adventure would be really nice yeah i mean you mentioned like being a female in the adventure space uh do, do you think that females are underrepresented um do, would you like to see any changes in the adventure culture um regarding like female adventurers yeah definitely i think I think probably on social media, it's a little bit more balanced just because it's not obviously not so much restriction on it. But on things like TV and in the, in the sort of wider media, yeah. it's definitely a huge emphasis on male adventurers. And often they're white men, middle class, probably been in the military. Like it's a very sort of samey kind of narrative, which is a real shame because there's so many cool people out there doing really cool stuff. Mm. Um so, so yeah, it would be great if that could could shift, and and along with that, that has to come also with brands and who they choose to support in terms of adventure. I've had some amazing, uh, you know, companies sponsor me, but I definitely know that there's a difference between what men get offered and what women get offered. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the financials, if if you're going down that route of trying to do it more, I guess as a profession, and you're having um, sponsors uh i you know for some reason men attract money and women less so not not at all but they you know i think they definitely get less um and there's probably still some element of um i don't know not not wanting women to to be in in more challenging situations or thinking that the the public or, or potential consumers don't want to see that and i think that's wrong like we do we really want to see that and there's as I say, some great stories out there of, of lots of other women doing cool stuff, which would be really nice to hear more of. Yeah. And the more uh, female role models, who, you know, female adventure role models there are in the space, it means that it's going to inspire so many more young women to get into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't, um, I don't think I saw any kind of, you know, role models growing up of women doing things outside. So it'd be brilliant to have you know, a new generation of, of girls that grow up to think, you know what that is for me, I am allowed to go outside and get dirty and, that, and that'd be brilliant. Mm. Do you think, you know, with people getting into the space uh, of, of adventuring, do you think there's a danger in, in the age of social media and people sometimes, 
going that extra mile for the sake of social media and getting a good Instagram clip or do, do you think people can kind of lose their way uh, and lose the connection to doing, as you were saying, do the adventures in your own way rather than you know doing it for the audience of social media? Yeah, I think it, it obviously completely plays the part in sort of how your adventure plays out. If you're doing things um, or, you know, structuring your adventure in a way that, that makes it easier to capture it. So you've got images. Um, it, it definitely changes the dynamic and, and having sponsors as well. That will change the dynamic of an adventure, right? Mm. Um, and I think it's just remembering like, why are you doing it? Like you can do it for Instagram if that's what you want to do, but it will probably be quite obvious that that's the only reason you're doing it. Um, yeah. And if people connect with that, then fair enough. But but I think the the real stories, the kind of the interesting stories, the ones that connect with people, are the ones where you're vulnerable and you're really telling the story how it happens, um, mm. and not trying to gloss it up for social media or you know just. And I think being unique in the way that you tell stories and not just kind of getting that standard Instagram shot, I don't think that really is going to help you very much or, you know, convey much to your followers. So just being unique and kind of doing it your way again. Yeah. And people respond really well to that authenticity when there's, you know, a lot of media competing for attention and a lot of it can seem fake at times. And I think now authenticity really, really shines through um, and could, because people find it so relatable. Yeah, definitely. And the things that you're going to be doing on your adventure, like so many other people are going to be feeling as well. So I think, you know, when you're scared, say so. If you're terrified, say so. Or if you're just absolutely loving it and having an amazing time, then like share that too. Like I think hmm. the whole range of emotions is what people connect with. Wicked. And, and you've obviously been and travelled over some really beautiful landscapes. Do you think that your journey into being an adventurer has changed your relationship to nature given you a deeper appreciation yeah definitely i don't think i'd really explored well i hadn't i hadn't explored britain at all really before i started doing this so even just as a, a way of getting to know you know the country i call home it's been fantastic mm. um and then alongside that kind of you know i now know how the land lies like from cornwall to scotland and it's brilliant and, and um and it, but even now i still don't know you know that much of the uk there's so much more to explore and i think we're incredibly lucky to have such a diverse adventure playground right on our doorstep you know lots of countries are kind of they're either you know one thing or the other but we have so much from mountains to beaches and and everything in between so it's it's, it's really brilliant yeah and that's something really important to emphasize like how uh how lucky people are to have something on their doorstep and you know for people in the uk they've got a really uh, amazing access to to the coastline which is uh, you know fantastic but also mountains uh, good walking um but people around the world you know who may be listening to this also everyone every environment in the world has its own sort of unique character to it and like you were saying about tailoring the adventures to your your character and your spirit you can also do that to the, the land that you have on your doorstep as well it doesn't need to you don't need to travel half the way around the world to have that feeling of going on an adventure it can be right on your doorstep wherever you are yeah absolutely um i think you know some of the you know, adventuring outside of your back door are kind of the best ones that you can have because they're they're you know much cheaper they're much less time consuming so you can kind of fit more of them into your everyday life which is i think a brilliant way to live yeah and you have started a a project called the adventure book club i take it and this is to to connect people with a love of adventure reading um and hopefully transform that into action as well yeah absolutely so um every month we read a different adventure book and i guess the term adventure book is quite kind of loose sometimes sometimes it's kind of almost an approach to life rather than just a, a general story of an adventure um and they, you know of those kind of adventure stories there are a whole range of lots of different sports local kind of away from home all sorts of sort of variety and i think just learning about 
things that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily learn about is quite a nice thing to do. So we've read books about free diving and I do, I never knew anything about free diving. It was fascinating. Yeah. Um, but also just kind of all the inspiration to go, oh, maybe I could do that or like change a little bit of, take a little bit of their approach and apply that to my adventure. It's just quite a nice, a nice way of kind of dipping your toe in the adventure world, getting a kind of regular dose of adventure stories and also meeting other people who like going on adventures and maybe you could go on some together. That's a really cool project to, to have started. Um, how can people get involved with the Adventure Book Club if they, they'd like to join? Yeah, so we've got um, a website, just adventurebook.club. Um, and then on there is our kind of membership options. Um, and then we have a private Facebook group, which people join. And then we discuss the book in there. Um, and yeah, they can just sign up online. Awesome. And speaking of adventure books, I take it you are a, a new author of uh, your own adventure book. I am, yes. All right. <laughs> Calling all the fear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's about, it's kind of about all of the, the, the elements of the triathlon, but particularly about the paddleboarding one. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I published it last December and it's been going really well and I'm amazed. It's been lovely to have all the feedback on it. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's just the story about believing in yourself and kind of pushing through and keeping going, really. Do you feel that it was quite powerful putting it into words? It sort of gave you uh, some good perspective on the lessons that you'd learned over the experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny, like I feel more proud of having done the book than I do of the adventure itself, I think. <laughs> putting it down and having something fizzle that you can like give somebody else and like like this is what happened and kind of all the details that doesn't come through in the story if you were kind of following me at the time um, on social media or, or heard about it in a talk because it's just you just can't get that kind of detail across so having it kind of documented and, and sharing my kind of thoughts and feelings and kind of how I got into adventure it's been really nice and um yeah I think taking so so I I published this about a year and a half after I finished. So it was nice to have some kind of time sort of after the adventure to kind of process and, and see things um, from a bit further away, which was, which was good. So yeah, it's been really nice to do it. And I'm also um, in the process of starting to write a second book uh, about when I walked from John O'Grates to Land's End. So hopefully I might be able to use lockdown to, to get that written and uh, have that out before the end of the year. Big productive time. And uh, the, the second book sounds really exciting. You have to keep us updated on that. Um, yes, I will do. Did, how do you feel like, uh, what have you learned about yourself over your adventures? Has it been a bit of a, a character building process for you? Yeah, I guess um, I kind of learned to, to believe in myself and to trust myself with decisions that I make, um, whether they're, deciding what kind of adventure to do or how I want to plan it or um, who, who to take with me, kind of, you know, finding crew and that kind of stuff, I think. Um, learning about my abilities and, and to know when to ask for help has been um, a big part of, of, of the adventure. Um, yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's kind of the main thing really, is just believing myself that I am more capable than I could Kind of imagine and, and I think that's a really exciting prospect and it's not necessarily something that you're I think we're often taught that you know people tell you you don't you know you can't do that unless you have a qualification or whatever and I think um realizing that you can do stuff without having somebody else's permission is kind of amazing <laughs> yeah and I'm sure if you talked to the younger version of yourself and laid out all of the different things that you've managed to complete now and you know writing a first book and going on to a second book you might have not believed that at that time no not at all i mean i couldn't have imagined you know like five years ago that i would have done any of this stuff i'm like what are you talking about no way like yeah. but as kind of we mentioned earlier like it's a, it's a real gradual process um and i think uh, it's it's a really fun one and it's a really no it's a good a good sort of way to set yourself up for life I think yeah I think the the the, the incremental stages of just like taking it step by step is you know coming back to that is a really powerful way of uh, 
yeah, just not getting too overburdened by, you know, thinking that you have to complete these huge goals all, the, all at once. Um, if uh, you had a phone call with the 20-year-old version of Fiona, what would you say to her in advice? Wow. Um, I think I would probably tell her to uh, make some mistakes, I think. I think I was probably scared of doing stuff wrong when I was younger, um, which then means that you don't try new stuff. You don't kind of push yourself to do things that seem a bit weird or a bit crazy. Uh, so yeah, I would have advised her to come up with some ridiculous idea and just have a go at it. That's wicked advice. Um, I know that uh, I I feel personally anyway that inspiration is is a really powerful tool only if it's turned into action after that. So if there's someone who's been inspired by hearing you tell stories of your adventures and your experiences and and they want to use that spark and turn it into action, um, how would you advise they they start if they've got no clue where they're going? Um, I think a beer is a really good way to get started on anything. So <laughs> if there's someone that you know who might be able to offer you a little bit of advice or you can talk something through with them, like go buy them a beer uh, when we're allowed out again. And um, yeah, just go and chat stuff through with someone and then come away with kind of like one thing, like what's the one thing after that beer that's going to move you forward and then kind of just keep, keep taking some steps sound advice um and and in the after post lockdown world do you have any upcoming projects that you're particularly excited about well so i just moved to um to uh, cumbria so to near the lake district uh, this year and I, my, my plan was that this spring i was gonna take on a local adventure um called the big water hike and i was gonna hike a lap of every kind of big water um, in the Lake District. So I started that, I did Windermere and then we got into lockdown. So when we get out again, I'm gonna finish that. And then uh, I'd quite like to take on an adventure in Ireland. I've obviously paddleboarded the length of Ireland, but I've not really seen much of mainland Ireland. So I kind of wanna go on shore and, and explore the country a bit more. Explore more of your, well, the wider local area of, uh, yeah of the UK and Ireland. I think that's a really good thing to be able to do. Uh, before I ask the, the last question of the podcast, um, I'd love it if you could tell people who are you know, interested in your journey and have been inspired by the things that you've been saying, how can they follow you on social media or get in contact? Yeah, so um, I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all just Fiona L. Quinn. Um, and my website is lquinn.com and you can just drop me a message via any of those means. Fantastic. Uh, and the last question, if you had a magic wand um, and when you wave the wand, everyone in the world uh, will have to do one habit per day. They have to do one thing per day of your choice. What would that activity be? I think read. I think that everyone would have to read. It doesn't have to be my book, but <laughs> just read something. <laughs> Your book might be a good place to start. Um, yeah. I think stories are such a, a brilliant way to learn, to kind of inspire us to go and do other things and to give us a confidence and to see the world in a different perspective. So yeah, reading, I think would be a brilliant thing. Brilliant. Well, that brings us to the end of the conversation. Fiona, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, I, I really do believe that you, you know, your experience is a testament to the fact that you are able to really break through those perceived limits. And uh, coming back to that growth mindset, I think you're a fantastic example of someone who has a growth mindset um, and has leveraged that to be able to um, really you know, have some... Uh, epic goals completed and I'm sure some really fantastic things to come in the future so yeah thank you very much uh, for sharing your stories with the listeners today 
Um, and for those of you who are listening, um, please do go and follow Fiona on Instagram and social media so you can keep up with her journey um, and like and subscribe uh, the Second Mind podcast. And if you've enjoyed the messages of the conversation and perhaps you think it'd be useful for a friend to hear some of these uh, topics that we've been talking about, please do share it um, with the people in your circles. And thank you very much for listening. Stay true, everybody. Bye.